Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you for joining us. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Pad, we are in the middle of a snowpocalypse again. Yeah, I was like, get the bread and milk. Gotta get the bread and milk. Yes, it is currently snowing out of nowhere here in the 607, but fear not, we are still bringing you an episode this week. It's more of a fusion episode than we usually do because we are going to talk a little bit of sports because as we mentioned on the Patreon, this is a real quiet time of year for sports. Post-Super Bowl, yeah. pre-free agency, the NBA and NHL are currently in midseason, yep. going to the playoffs, baseball just started. Barely. Yeah, UFC is kind of in between big events, even though we will be talking about that on next week's podcast. But we are going to kind of make this more of a fusion episode than we usually do. But you are tuned in for the entertainment edition of the ODPH, where we talk movies, TV, and comics. And that's going to be the focus of this episode for the most part. But, Pat, if you want to find out everything that is going on with the ODPH, where do you go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. You check out the social media accounts because we're always posting stuff there. So it doesn't matter what show you're listening to. We have some content for you there. The T Public Store, where there currently is a sale going on. You want to get some ODPH swag for less. This is the time to do it. I encourage you. Go get it while it's on sale. You hear the sound of my voice. Go do it. The Patreon link is right there, as I mentioned, which has an exclusive review of a brand new comic from DC Comics on there just for the patrons. So if you want to find out about that, one dollar gets or one tier gets you in the door, but the $2 will keep you there. If you also check out the Parley Points blog section, ton of reviews we'll talk about later in the show. The directory where you can find friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts. The Classifieds is where you find the friends because the directory has got so much going on with it i sometimes get confused because pat how many providers are we on uh 222,000. sounds about right to me see there's so much going on at the website i even get confused so that's why i encourage you, if you want to find out everything that's going on with the odph swing on over to odphpodcast.com and always remember on social media use the hashtag odph pod kicking off this edition of the show we have to recap Dare I say, the most polarizing film of Marvel Studios in recent memory? I'll say in quite some time, yeah, probably. It has to be, because now we are in full swing on Phase 4. Phase 5. Or Phase 5, is phase, it? It's Phase 5, yeah. Because I thought it ends with uh, Phase 4. No, no, Phase 4, Love, Love and Thunder was the end of Phase 4. This is the start of Phase 5. Hmm. See... There's so much going on with Marvel, and it's never like so much overwhelming content. Mm-hmm. There's just so many moving parts that are kicking in with this. Well, and to be fair, we're also used to and conditioned with the previous phases being bookended by an Avengers movie, which True. we did not get this time around. True. So that said, we are in the latest phase of the MCU. We'll just word it like that. Sure. And a film has debuted that has really got fans talking it definitely has critics talking, yeah. which I'll get into in a little bit. 
did very well at the box office. Yeah, so according to the folks over at boxofficemojo.com, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, was the number one film at the box office uh, domestically here in the U.S., and of course it was a longer weekend because it was President's Day weekend, uh, so it ran from February 17th through the 20th. Uh, it was number one, grossing $120.3 million. Uh, number two was Avatar The Way of Water, grossing $8 million. Uh, totals, uh, as we currently record, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania sits at $120.3 million domestically, $129.6 million internationally for a worldwide gross of just over $250 million. So it made some bank. Oh, yeah. Which we all knew this was going to happen because it's a Marvel movie. The anticipation has been there, especially with who is involved. Yes. Because now we have the full introduction of the next big bad in the MCU, and that's Jonathan Major's Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. So we have all been waiting in anticipation to see how this was all going to play out. We knew that Paul Rudd's Scott Lang yep. was an interesting choice to have a face-off with. We know Evangeline Lilly was back as Hope Dine or Hope Van Dyne. And how is this all going to play out was the big X factor about this. Mm-hmm. So we have seen the movie, and what we're going to do, like we always do on the ODPH, and if you're a first-time listener, thank you very much for checking us out. We do appreciate the follow and drop a five-star review on your favorite podcatcher. We like to give a spoiler-free statement about the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie for whatever reason, don't worry. So like I say, we're not going to spoil anything then. However, though, we are going to give you a countdown if you need to duck out for whatever reason. You don't want to hear about any spoilers. You really want to just go in cold to it. After that countdown, though, You've been fair warned to get out. Otherwise, we deep dive and we hold nothing back. So you have been warned yet again. So I can't stress this. Don't hit us up on social media and go, oh, I didn't realize you guys were talking spoilers. We spell it out for you very, very easily. After the countdown, it's game on. So that said, it is time to talk Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, brother. So, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement. The movie's fine. You know, it's not the worst thing I ever saw. You know, it's got a runtime of two hours and three minutes. You know, I went to see it with my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, on Friday. Uh, Her more for the popcorn. The the movie was an added bonus. Uh, You know, but I didn't get out of it after two hours and three minutes and go, well, fuck, there's two hours of my life I'll never get back. You know, like I said, the movie was fine. You know, I enjoyed parts of it. There were parts of it I thought could have been a little bit better. And there were other parts of it that I feel like, you know, could have used five more minutes in the special effects room, five more minutes in the writer's room, five more minutes, you know, on the soundstage, mm-hmm. you know. But that being said, you know, for what Kevin Feige said, where how, you know, this movie connects uh, to the greater MCU more than any film since Endgame. Mm-hmm. You know, I left it kind of going, mm, does it? You know, I'm, I'm not skeptical of things going forward. I'm just confused as to where we're going to go. You know, but that said, I mean, if you're an MCU fan of the movie, you'll enjoy it. You know, you're not going to hate it. This isn't, you know, Iron Man three or Thor two, where it's like, oh, my God, this is fucking terrible. Why? Like, does it have its flaws? Yes. Is it absolutely perfect? And is it a home run out? No. But I think for if you're an MCU fan, I think you'll enjoy it. I've heard a great comparison online. And the more I replay the statement in my head, it makes even more sense. Okay. This is the best Fantastic Four movie without the Fantastic Four. That's not wrong. Legitimately. That's not wrong. Yeah. I have. It's a good comparison. This movie 
is good. But it's not the end-all, be-all, blow-away yeah. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. yeah. You know, the new era is born. Like, if I'm putting a star rating on it, I'm giving it three out of five. Yeah. Like, like, it, like it's middle of the road. It's fine. Grade-wise, I give it seven out of ten. Like, is, did I enjoy watching it? Yes. Am I going to go back and watch it when it drops on Disney Plus in 40-whatever days? Probably not. The only things that really made sense to me in this movie that I really am going to focus and, and say good about. Jonathan Majors is amazing as Kang. Jonathan Majors acted his goddamn ass off, and he put a clinic on in every sense possible. Yeah, he's fantastic. Holy shit. No pun intended. However, though, there are other elements in this movie that really played it too safe Mm -hmm. and really took away from truly establishing Kang as a threat. And I did not like that. Right. I did not like certain other actors on this that their characters really held things back. Sure. But it is still a good movie. And I want to stress this. As, as much as I might sound very negative sure. about it, it's good, but it's not great. Right. I, I didn't walk out of this like I saw Morbius, and I didn't walk out of this like I saw Eternals. Yeah. But I'm not saying that this is also Cap Winter Soldier level for me. Sure. This is a good in the middle. Yeah, it's fine. But for what we got, I thought we could have gone better, but it was still enjoyable. So that being said, I know I'm going to go into spoiler talk, so let's go into it. In three, two... One, Pad, let's talk about it. You know, for being Kang in, in the traditional sense of Kang, or as traditional as you can get with this character, introduction of Kang, you know, one of the things I've always said is, you know, when you're doing these cinematic universe movies where they're all interconnected and one thing leads to the next and you got one big bad leads to the next big bad, you always have to step the game up and mm-hmm. you always have to up the ante and make the next villain as bad, if not worse, in whatever way possible than the previous uh, villain. You know, you had Thanos, who was wanting to wipe out half of all life in the universe. Kang, from what we could tell going into this movie, wanted to screw with the timelines, which would affect a lot more than half of the universe. That affect everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going. In, I went into this thinking, all right, so they're going to introduce Kang as we know him, or are going to know him. And we're kind of kind of set up what he's about and do this and do that and really show that, like, especially to me, who I'm not the most familiar with person with Kang, mm. you know, but really show me how big a threat this guy is. I'll be honest. I feel like he got punked out in this movie. I he, fully agree. You know, because he's oh, he's the big bad. He's the guy who's, you know, destroyed Avengers in multiple timelines. And then he's killed this. And he, you know, he even says at one point in the movie. Oh, you're just so, you know, you I've killed so many over the years. It's, it's hard to keep you straight anymore. Are you the one with the hammer? Mm-hmm. You know, but he's setting this up like he's killed Avengers. He's done this. He's done that. You know, throughout throughout time. You know, from then to, then to now, and we get to the end, and it's like we have to beat it over the head that like, hey, he's coming back. Is he coming back? He's not coming back. Is he? He's coming back, right? No. Is he? Wait, what? You know, just like that whole sequence at the end with Scott monologuing that like you shouldn't get to the end of the movie with your big bad of the overall franchise going forward and have to in a snarky, jokey way, beat it over the heads of people who might not be paying attention and go, hey, comic books, he's coming back. 
you know, so I feel like he got punked out. There were other parts of this that I just laughed hysterically at and not for good reasons, which we'll get to in a little bit. You know, and the story was a little subpar, you know, for, even for an Ant-Man movie. Like, am I going in expecting Citizen Kane and this and that? Like, no, no, of course not. No, but like I was expecting something a little different from what we're used to just because the first two movies were heist movies, mm. you know, and while this one was kind of a heist movie, it was a little bit of a different heist movie. And, and you know, it just didn't hit the right beats for me. When giant ants are able to overtake one of the most legendary villains of all of Marvel comics. There yeah. is a problem. Yeah. And I'm sorry. This is more so the Disney effect than anything because there is no way, and I mean no way possible, Scott freaking Lang yeah. can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe yeah. with Kang the Conqueror. I thought it would have been better if... if Either Scott or Hope or even Hank, Hank died. One of them had to. Well, I because I legitimately thought during the final portion of this final third of this movie, when the fighting was going on and, and Scott was getting his ass handed to him, mm -hmm. I legitimately thought he was going to die. And I even said that to my girlfriend as we were driving driving home from the movie. I was like, I I legitimately thought someone was going to die. Well, the problem that you have is you need to establish Kang on the same level as Thanos to the pop culture audience. Sure. And that's the biggest problem that you have here because in the comics, he's somebody that comes back from the 31st century. Right. And he dabbles in time because he is smart enough to go, if I go back where the civilizations have not evolved enough to keep track of my intellect and my strategy right. skills, they're not going to be able to stop me. And he overguesses everybody because he wants to think he's the smartest person in the room, but he never is. No. When you have to deal with a Reed Richards or a Charles Xavier to some degree or the combined forces of the Avengers. This is what makes Kang compelling is every time he tries going back in time for reasons, he gets stopped and his ego can't handle it. This is what makes Kang such a compelling character is his ego is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. So when you have him getting punked out yeah. by the second Ant-Man, mm -hmm. there's an issue. Yeah, and, and, I, and I realize some people will be going, well, but again, you know, yeah, you got beat by the ants, but those ants were an advanced civilization that experienced stop. the thousand. Like that, if you have to explain it, just stop. Exactly. It, the fact that you needed to clarify the majestic intelligence of these super soldier ants like this is the this is the problem like you were trying to oversell the level of hero uh -huh. scott lang is well and even the ants coming back was kind of telegraphed you know i i wasn't sure where it was going to happen but once they showed up i'm like yeah okay i saw that coming because when they when the portal first opens to the quantum realm and they all start getting sucked in and you're seeing you know the van dyne's chasing after each other and the Langs chasing after each other. I forget which group it was, but one of those groups, you very clearly saw the ants from the terrarium or whatever the hell you want to call that thing mm -hmm. falling through the thing. So I'm like, oh, they're going to show up at some point later. Yeah, no, they set it up because as the movie starts, everything is now returning to somewhat normal. Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd, is a celebrity. Evangeline Lilly's Hope Van Dyne is now running Pim's Industries. So she's playing the part of Reed Richards? 
Yeah, that's what it's that, looking that, like. That's the vibe I got. Oh, yeah. No, they completely set that up, that she is now running her own scientific uh, industries, and they are now living in the celebrity lifestyle that comes with being an Avenger, even though the Avengers are no longer needed. Scott, though, does have a little bit of an issue that he has to kind of keep an eye on, and that is his now teenage daughter, Cassie Lang, played by Catherine Newton, who is getting into a lot of trouble, as we see, as she's been arrested at the beginning of the film, albeit, though, is her involvement in a protest. Mm -hmm. So as they return home, they meet up with Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, and Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, played by Michelle Pfeiffer who is just really kind of having the family moment where, like I say, this is where the Fantastic Four vibes now are. You can kind of see come yeah. together. Yeah. Because who's the first family in Marvel? The Richards and, Stor- and uh, Ben Grimm and yep. you know such. But you can kind of see that they're implementing yeah. the Langs and Van Dynes here. Yep. Which, okay, we'll, we'll just roll with it. So you are seeing that Hank Pym has been working with Cassie about a device to go help people in the quantum realm. And Janet is freaking out. Mm-hmm. Wait, you're sending a signal down to the quantum realm? Yeah. Shut it down now. Yeah, so she immediately starts freaking out. Why? Well, you know, what's the issue with this? We're just trying to help people. I don't care. Shut it down now. Yeah, she is refusing to answer any questions. And this happens for like an hour and a half. For a legit hour and a half, like you said. A legit, like... Okay, you are acting like there is a major danger behind door number one, Mm -hmm. but you're not telling anybody what's behind there. So, okay, it might be good for five minutes, but it's not good for an hour and a half. And and you can't explain it away like, oh, well, she tried to explain what it was, but every time she did, something happened. Explosions, attacks, this, that. Like, no, they ask her about it several times throughout the movie. Like, what is so scaring you so much? What are you so afraid of? And she just refuses to say. Yeah. So it's a bizarre moment that keeps recurring, but I don't know why it keeps reoccurring. And, like, it's not getting anywhere furthering the story. Mm-hmm. Like that's the issue with this because once they go from the family dinner after they left the industries, it's now they're in the garage and Cassie's device goes off. The signal has now reached the quantum realm. Yep. Janet turns it off, but now it's been reactivated from the other end. They're now getting sucked into the quantum realm. So you have the entire family yep. plus ants going now back to the quantum realm. So while this happens, they're separated. Mm-hmm. Cassie and Ant-Man are broken away from Hank Pym, Janet, and Hope. Yep. And during this time, they now run into different members of the quantum realm. Which is blowing their mind because in all the time Hank has studied the quantum realm, he never saw any sentient life down there. Mm-hmm. And he even goes at one point, oh, this changes everything we know about the universe and the progress of life and da, 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 da. And even Scott brings, you know, brings up in a separate scene. He's like, yeah, I, this is wild. I went all the time. I, cause he was down there for five years. Yeah. Earth time, whatever that turns out to be quantum realm time, but five, he was down there for five years, earth time. He never saw anything like this. And, uh, what is it? Uh, hopes mom mm. is like, Oh yeah, no, that's cause you guys just weren't looking in the right place. Yeah. Mm, convenient. Yeah, which she's being so over-the-top mysterious, it's becoming a detriment to the story. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a weird thing to say, 
but it's like you are trying to really build up this mystery. Yeah. And it's not coming across that way. It's just becoming like a pause in the story mm-hmm. to say, like, look at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm mysterious. Like it just it's not it's yeah. not it's not transfer it's not translating anything. So now you have Scott and Cassie go off. They meet some of the freedom fighters. Literally their name. Yes. Of the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. Where there's more of a Disney moment here. You're seeing a lot of different alien creatures. They have to drink ooze to translate. Yeah. You know, but th- this is more of the Disney effect that I, that I mentioned a lot of times. We try doing stuff that's a little more, you know, family fun. And this was, mm-hmm. and for the most part, like, this, this scene. Was, this was good. It, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was meant for that comedic break. I mean, I know people are comparing it to stars, Star Wars, which I'm like, yeah, to I, can, a, I can see it. To a degree. Well, I mean, the one thing is when you have so many aliens involved yeah, yeah. and there's, the you know, the over-the-top, you know, humor with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can kind of understand. And then the Freedom Fighters are there explaining, you know, yeah. what is, you know, that there's somebody that's going to be looking for them and, you know, how do they know about Janet Van Dyne? Well, which yeah, because yeah, Scott name drops Janet because... Hope wants to stay, or uh, not Hope, Cassie. Cassie wants to stay. Cassie wants to stay and help the Freedom Fighters because this is what she's all about. And, and Scott's like, listen, we can't. This isn't our fight. We have to go find Hope, uh, Hank, and Janet. And the one and the one Freedom Fighter goes, what did you just say? Yeah. So there's the reaction there that, okay, there's something going on that Janet Van Dyne is publicly or public enemy number one. Well, in this case, public enemy number two, but yeah. Right, because... Now the story shifts to the trio walking through the quantum realm, mm-hmm. and Janet is still ducking answers that Hope and Hank Pym are asking her. Yeah, like at one point they're in like a Death Valley type of area where it's like super barren, no water. Yeah, de- Mad de- Max level. Yeah, almost, almost uh, verbatim. You know, and there's this crew approaching them, and everyone's kind of scared. They're like, Hank's ready to fight. Hope gets out her, like, her stinger weapons, whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. She's ready to fight, and Janet's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, I got this. And then she goes around, and she, like, rips some alien's arm off, stabs him with it, and they're like, and uh, Hank and Hope are looking at her like, the fuck is going on? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, my friend, it's good to see you again. Yeah. And, and she's like, hey, don't worry about it. Reasons. Yeah. That's literally how they brush it off. So it's a weird setup. So then they wind up flying into the civilized area of the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. And Janet makes a call to an old friend, Lord Krylar, mm-hmm. played by the one and only Bill Murray. Which was probably the most expensive part of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Other than the CGI. And you see that he is now double crossing them and turning, trying to turn them over. To a certain bad guy. Well, he he tries soothsaying him and trying, you know, snake tonguing him, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, hey, it's so good to see you. You know, it's been so long. What? Oh my gosh, you must be Hope. She talked about you all the time, and you must be the great Hank Pym. I've heard so much about you." And then it gets brought up that there were relations had between Krylar and Janet. Yeah. And Hank goes, "What?" She yeah. go, and she goes, listen, I was down here for 30 years. I had needs. Yeah. So we're having, you know, an episode of Jerry Springer play out on screen. Yeah. It was a weird, awkward timing I moment. Don't, I like, I understand it. And when they said, she's like, oh, I had 30 years. I had needs. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But like kids movie here. Yeah. You know, and then Hank goes, oh, don't worry. I did it. I'm like, do we really need this? Is this necessary to the plot? Why, yeah. why are we doing this? No, it was very confusing about this. But 
they wanted to really try establishing how the friendship was there and how the double cross is supposed to be that more impactful. Albeit though, the trio does wind up stealing his ship and flying away. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the freedom fighters are attacked by Kang's forces. Mm-hmm. Scott and Cassie are defeated and captured mm-hmm. by a certain someone. Yes. And we finally get the reveal of Jonathan Majors Kang mm-hmm. as he is now interrogating them about the whereabouts of Janet Van Dyne. Well, we're also forgetting to mention who captured them and who was introduced because he was name dropped. And unless you knew what the words or the first letter of each word spelled out to be, uh, you didn't know who it was until they showed up and we got to meet Modoc. Yeah, I tried forgetting that because yeah, they really dropped the ball with Modoc. I didn't have an issue with the suit. The suit was fine. Suit was fine. They took the mask off. Then yikes. Yes, because then you had Corey Stahl reprising his role as Darren Cross, and he is now Modoc. Yeah. In the six one six. Like I said, didn't have an issue with the suit. The suit looked awesome. You mm-hmm. know, for for a modern interpretation, uh, you know, on screen interpretation of the suit. The suit was badass. Yeah. Took the mask off. Holy fuck! Like that was one of the scenes that or one of the sequences or multiple sequences i guess because he's in the movie for a good portion of time could have used some extra time in the vfx yep i fully agree because i i we went to see it at separate showing so i can't speak for your showing but i know for my showing he showed up and it was the modulated voice and the, this and that and then he took the mat and then he took the the mask off and while myself i was like oh wow like in a slight bit of shock that it's him mm. the rest of my theater was laughing and it wasn't an, a good laugh. It was, oh, my God, this looks terrible. Yeah, it was kind of whis- whispered amongst the hushed tones of uh, the crew we went because I went to the 3FN uh, squad and Johnny Moose. And we were all kind of like, what is this? Like, really? Yeah. Like, it was kind of like that moment. Yeah. But they really tried establishing that, yes, Modoc wound up capturing them and bringing them in. I like I said, I thought they just completely dropped the ball here. That agreed hundred percent. So like I even forgot that he's the one that brought him in. Because he winds up coming in and he's now Kang's lackey. Yep. And we do get the backstory a bit though. Yeah. About Kang and Janet Van Dyne. Mm-hmm. And we finally realize that there is a connection between them because at the beginning of the movie there was a quick sequence yep. where Janet Van Dyne was getting attacked by some of the aliens of the quantum realm. And it turned out that Kang was helping her, mm-hmm. and they did form a friendship until. Well, yeah, because his, his ship crash landed in the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. He told her that he was a scientist who was exploring things and got got sucked into the quantum realm and needed help escaping because whatever I forget what it was called, but the device that powered his ship was broken. Yeah, the power core. The power core was broken, and he needed her help. To fix it. And so they then spent the next however many years of her 30-year sentence, I guess you could say, mm. in the quantum realm working on fixing the power core. Yeah. So we do see that eventually it does happen. Yeah. And then it's also working via telepathically. Yeah. So the minute that Janet hooks up the power core to the ship or it gets or it even gets close like i don't even know if she fully inserts it but like it, it gets close it's close enough it activates and then she starts seeing some shit yeah so she starts seeing kang's history yeah as he's now gone through time and conquered timelines mm-hmm. obviously scared out of her mind by this she takes the power core out there is a fight going on because kang is literally just saying he's like i promise i would take you home i promise i would help you i promise this and since she now turns on him they start fighting she uses whatever pin particle she has to shrink 
the power core down. Well, she she throws both the shrink and the grow ones at it. Yeah, because it's the red one, it's the red little circle things, and it's the blue circle things. So she throws them, she throws them both at it. Yeah, so it does turn into this weird. It like combusts or explodes or something. Yeah, yeah, form that Kang is now sending Scott Lang to go retrieve. Mm-hmm. And the deal is, if he won't do it, he will kill Cassie. Yep. And this is where I thought they did a good job about establishing this mm-hmm. because you do see him slowly start torturing and breaking Scott yeah, and doing the same effect on Cassie. So it's like, okay, yeah, you really want to establish he's not kidding around. This is the way to do it. Also, got to know, uh, unlike in the trailer where they mentioned, oh, like, I can give you more time with Cassie. No mention of that here. Yeah. Even though it was brought up in, earlier in the movie, uh, you know, that, oh, he's got to make up for mess. There's so many lost birthdays he had with her. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was never brought up in the movie. No. So then he is now taken to the spot of the core mm-hmm. and is shrunk down microscopically to go try stealing it back. Mm-hmm. This is now the point where things get a little trippy. So yeah. bear with us. Yeah. It now unlocks every single possibility for an outcome in the scenario, much like when Doctor Strange was on yeah. Titan, yeah, trying to figure out how to beat Thanos. What, and did, what did he call it, like an Infinity Horizon, something so, in that something variation. like that? Yeah. yeah, we now have that another version of that here, where you're seeing multiple Scott Langs start yeah. appearing, including the Baskin Robbins Employee <laughs> of the Month. One. That was fun. It was a fun, yeah, it was a fun one, but it was like okay, a little out of place, but I'll, I'll roll with it. So you do see him valiantly trying to go get the core. Meanwhile, yeah. Janet, Hope, and Hank Pym do make a play to go stop him from doing this. Mm-hmm. Hope makes her way into that quantum realm as well. And she shrinks down. There's v- multiple variants of the wasp there too. Yeah. So that turns to be a bit of a mess. They do wind up getting the core, but however, Kang does not wait for them to cut the deal. Nope. A fight ensues. The ship is destroyed. Hank is on it because he's been having a face-off with MODOK. Yeah. And he's presumed dead, you think, at this point. You would think. You think. Janet's been captured, and everybody else is pretty much left for dead. Cassie is still at the uh, base there, so she hasn't left. So while this is going on, you see that Han- or Scott and Hope are trying to make one last play to go. Mm-hmm. Hank now emerges yeah. with his super soldier ants. Mm-hmm. Really thought this was forced. Yeah. Really, really thought well, this was Well, and they even tried, you know, inserting the plot point of like, you know, oh, there had been little hints throughout the movie that he knew something was up, but like, I didn't remember that. No. Maybe, maybe if I go and watch the movie a second time, I'll pick up on it. But totally missed that through the first time. Like, right. like I feel like it would have worked better if he would have said something or at least made an indication that he's picking up some weird signals or something like that. But, like, I missed out on it if it was there. No, it was just kind of a weird thing. So as they're now trying to make their play into the Chronolopolis, which is Kang's home base here, as it appears to be. Even though they never mention it. They never mention it, but I'm just going to roll with it like that because it's this really futuristic city in the middle of the quantum realm that is completely ran by Kang's forces. He's now sitting there basking in his win, 
And it's almost to the point like he's, you know, throwing it right in Janet's face. Right, because he's all but ready to leave the quantum realm. He's just got to put some final tune-ups on the power core and get him ready to go. Yeah. While this is going on, Cassie finds a way to escape. And she winds up connecting with the freedom freedom fighters uh, like Genorta. Yep. Or Gentora, rather, excuse me. And she winds up now sending a signal to the rest of the quantum realm. Yeah, she she ends up usurping because uh, Kang goes to give like the motivational speech to his forces, like we're gonna rise up, we're gonna take over the world, we're gonna take over the timelines. Da, da, da. Like he's mid monologue, and she goes, "Hey, uh, you might think it's over, it's not." No. So Cassie winds up giving this Independence Day esque speech to motivate <laughs> everybody in the quantum realm to fight one last time. So not only do you have the army of super ants coming with Scott and Hope, yeah. even though they do take a while to get there, you do see that the rallying cry has now happened. Yeah. And you see the inhabitants of the quantum realm are now fighting back for the first time. This was a cool sequence. Yeah. I will say this for action wise. It, it did what it needed to do. Yeah. But albeit though, when Hank Pym comes rolling in with his super ants. Yeah. That was a little much. Yeah. Did not really care for it. Did not get down with yeah, it. Yeah, like, like they showed up on screen. I'm like, oh, there they are. Like, I, it was no surprise and no shock, at least to me, mm-hmm. you know, that they showed up because I'd seen them fall away earlier in the movie. Like, and then, like I said, I, I knew at some point they were going to show up. It was just a question of when. Yeah. So Kang, at this point, sees that his forces are losing and decides to take matters into his own hands. He starts going down there and obliterating everybody with laser beams. It's like Sauron in the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, which was like, okay, you're establishing him as the big bad threat. Yeah. He's now doing this. People are throwing themselves at him, trying to kill him, and he's just like flicking them away like fleas. Yeah. So this works perfectly. Meanwhile, they go back to the subplot with Cassie and Modok. And we go back to Ant-Man 1, where the former Yellowjacket tormented... Cassie for a quick scene before yeah. he is sent to the quantum realm and given his new body by Kang after he's rescued. So all of this time that he's had this pent up hatred for mm-hmm. Cassie, she somehow now sways him to be an Avenger and stop being all by saying, stop being a dick. Yeah. That's the magic word. That's the new Martha. Stop <laughs> being a dick is the new Martha. Need that on a shirt. It's somebody's going to make it seriously. It's going to happen because literally that's all it takes yeah. to sway Modoc. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if we'd seen more scenes between him and, and Kang, because Kang was kind of a jerk to him for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, but like it was, we saw like one scene where like uh modok was trying to talk to him and he just flicks him away with a flick of his wrist and that's not like if we have seen more scenes of him just being like oppressed by kang yeah i'd buy it a little bit more where he like you know what he finally had enough fought back and said you know what i'm, I'm done with this you know but no we saw the one scene and then all of a sudden he gets one semi-motivational speech of like don't be a dick and all of a sudden he goes running and i'm not a dick yeah which is disney humor yet again Bad timing. Just bad timing with this. 
because it takes away from the great fight scene sequence going on. It takes away from what you've been building up with Kang because you had that great moment where you understand what he's doing. Yeah. He's now ready to conquer. He has to get distracted, so he has to come down on the ground level where he's fighting everybody. And wiping the floor with them. Yes, except when the super ants roll through. And then he puts up the portal, and all of a sudden the he can't stop the ants with a portal. Yeah. Or shield or whatever it is. Y-pad? Reasons. So at this point, Janet Van Dyne hooks up the, the power core to create a portal to send everybody back home. Yep. And you see Cassie goes through. You see Hank Pym goes through. You see Hope goes through. You see her go through. Right before Scott Lang goes through, somebody grabs him. Well, he was kind of lingering back a minute, and I saw something coming. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like a, he's taking one last wistful look. Like, he was hanging back. Yeah. He had an idea something might be wrong, and sure enough, he was right, because Kang shows up and beats the ever-loving shit out of him. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Breaks the helmet. It breaks the helmet. They, I'm glad they did keep one thing from the previews, and that was the camera angle from inside the helmet. Yes. Where you see the foot coming down because Kang yes. is stomping a la Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> stomping a mud hole in him. Seriously. He is beating him. I thought at one point he broke some ribs. Yeah, I did like, too. There was some nasty shots that uh, Scott Lang was taking. Well, he goes from relatively unscathed to having like a bloody lip. Yeah, like he is seriously getting thrashed to put it mildly but he's saved at the last minute because hope jumps back through and winds up connecting kang to these loose wires from the power core so he now becomes sucked into the power stream Mm -hmm. which nobody realized except at the time it's the multiverse yep because that's what they're tapping into to get home yep you just gave him his out congratulations guys Mm mm-hmm so while this happens, the portal is shut down. Yep. So the machine is broke. The portal is shut down. Scott and Hope are just standing there. And this is where I think they should have kept things. At this moment, I'm like, okay, you know what? I thought they were going to fade to black. Yeah, they should have. They absolutely should have. Because in less than a minute, that portal comes back online. Yep. And they escape. Yep. But this is after, of course, Modoc is killed. Yeah. During the melee. Yeah, he goes, oh, am I an Avenger now? And Scott reluctantly goes, yeah, you're an Avenger. Yeah. Because Scott was going back home to tell the Avengers about what happened more than likely, but he wasn't taking the real Avenger with him, allegedly. <laughs> See, I was so trying to duck talking about Modoc because of how bad of a job they did with him. I mean, for what it's worth, was it a terrible portrayal? Yes, but at least they can do a proper Modoc down the road if they want to because this was not a Modoc created by AIM mm-hmm. and ended up in the quantum, mania, quantum realm because reasons. No, this was a guy who ended up in the quantum realm and got turned into this. Yeah. So if they want to do the proper AIM Modoc down the road, they can. Yeah, which I hope so. I really do. Like, somehow, way, I hope they really... Story-wise, I understand why they did it. I do, and it, too. And it made sense. It was a terrible portrayal. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's nothing against Corey Stoll. I think Corey Stoll's an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought for what he was given in this movie, he did a good job. Yeah. It's just it was a shit uh, script he was given. Yeah, no, it was absolutely awful what he was given. Because now you have the, the ultimate happy ending. Yeah. Everybody goes home. Scott's re- reenacting the beginning of the film. He's walking down. Ver- verbatim. Yeah. He's walking down. He's not getting confused for Spider-Man now. No. He's now reliving his celebrity. They're now recreating Cassie's birthday again, even though it's months away from when it's supposed to be. Yeah. And all the time, he's now having second thoughts if Kang has really escaped or not. And then this is where I had issue with this is like, 
they're beating it over the head of he's coming back. He's yeah. coming back. Like when we get to the one of the credit scenes and it's clear as shit he's coming back. Yeah. But that's how the movie ends. So like I say, at this point, the only thing that I could say was really good is Jonathan Majors was great in every scene he was in. Jonathan Majors was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I thought that Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer was great. Yeah, she was. And except when she kept repeating that she would not talk about the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. I thought that really took away from the film. She was great otherwise. Like that was even. Well, uh, yeah, because even though I'm just thinking of it, the one th- the line that annoyed me earlier in the movie before they ended up in the quantum realm was, you know, when the, when when uh, Cassie reveals the device mm-hmm. and, and Janet goes, well, why you never came to me about this? Why, why didn't you come to me about this? And Hope looks at her and goes, Mom, because you've never talked about it. You never want to talk about it. Why would we? Yeah. And like I say, they, they kept trying to build up that mystery, and I think it just fell flat after 10 minutes. It, the mystery took too long. Yeah, it took, way, it, it took way too long for a payoff. Because even though you have the great story, like I said, between Majors and Pfeiffer, yeah. everybody else was just kind of there. Yeah. And it's nothing against Catherine Newton, but her character... Was just like she was good, but like the like I said, it's in the same lane as Corey Stoll. Yeah, bad writing, good portrait, good portrayal, and good job on their part. Just the writing was terrible. Yeah, the writing was awful for her because I'm just like she's more of an annoyance than a help here to the story. Like I'm sorry, like you're just you're you feel like you're forced in there. You feel like we're forced to care about you instead of having this happen organically. Because every time she was in the quantum realm, it's like her one saving grace was the Independence Day speech. Yeah. After that, it was it was out the window. Yeah. Hank Pym being the the end all be all force that stops Kang is a little much. Mm-hmm. Even though you know, I know they try selling him in the comics as the scientist supreme, which I do not buy. I think that they tried over extenuating his circumstances to like the point that he can hang with the elite of the elite. Right. And I'm sorry, there's no way that the common thief Scott Lang can hang with the master strategist known as Kang. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, like you can't. The fact, like, it should have been, unfortunately, Scott Lang gets killed by Kang. Yeah. Portal shut. Or not even Kang, somebody. Yeah. Well, they needed to really establish that, and they didn't because they're relying too much on the bonus scenes, which we're going to go to now. Yep. Because during this bonus scenes, this is where things get very confusing if you're not a comic book reader. Hi, this was me. Yeah. And what do we have here, Pad? Uh, a bunch of variants of Kang. Yes. So in this time frame, you have three notable Kangs. Mm-hmm. You have Ramatut, who mm-hmm. is the Egyptian pharaoh. Which I believe, from what I was listening to the Phase Zero podcast from comicbook.com, uh, was alluded to in the, uh, what is it? Oh, I'm blanking on the name of it. The Moon Knight series. Yes. Was alluded to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Long-standing villain tied completely to the Fantastic Four. So if it wasn't clear as shit they're doing a Fantastic Four movie, let's beat it over the head here. You also had the Scarlet Centurion, who is a version of Kang from the future, more like, I don't want to say like an ultimate soldier, but kind of in that vein. Sure. And then you had Immortus, who you saw the true version, quote-unquote, of Immortus with his weird hat and... And he is the protector of Limbo at this time. So they are now sitting there basically saying, oh, well, we were the ones that imprisoned him there. We yeah, were the ones. This is, like he mentioned, he got banished by a group of people. Well, this is the group. Yeah. 
And then you had them all start getting together the Council of Kangs, which is every single variant of Kang through the multiverse, Mm -hmm. which is a scene from the comics. Because at the end of the day, no matter how you want to to spin it, there is one true Kang the Conqueror. He is the one that is the most dangerous of them all. And that's the one that they're now trying to get everybody together to stop. This could lead into the Kang dynasty, depending on the story they want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to fully say it is. I'm going to say there is a possibility. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be very confusing of how they want to move forward this. Yeah. Because there is so many different variants. And this is where... So you've now killed two of them. Right. This is where things get really messy and it will confuse the pop culture audience. So oh, yeah. I thought they did a bad post credit scene in trying to explain this because you really need to ease people in to the Council of Kangs. I think if they'd have kept the characters in, just kept them masked and not shown Jonathan Major's face, mm-hmm. I think it would have worked better. Oh, it probably Be- because it, because it, it, like if they, you just keep the faces on, like the comic book readers will know who they are. And then you just kind of keep, you know, the kiss method to keep it simple, stupid, mm. you know, where they got masks on. You can't tell who they are. But like the comic readers will go, oh, those are variants. of K- Those are variants of Kang. And they bring up, oh, you know, oh, we're really upset about, you know, the 616 universe, you know, interest in the multiverse. And that's going to ruin our plans. And we got to get people together. We got to figure out what we're going to do about this and cut. Yeah, that's what they should have done. But because that's almost like the end of Avengers one. Where Thanos shows up or like, you know, Thanos is getting talked to and it's like, oh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, shit. Like, all right, that's what's coming. Yeah, because they really need to explain Kang more than they did. Like they gave enough in the movie that you knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. And I think they did a really good job about it. I just think they did a bad job about trying to portray him as the big bad when he gets punked out by Ant-Man. And he's been punked out twice in a calendar year. Yeah. So this is where the problem has. Because he got punked out by Loki, mm-hmm. and now Scott Lang. Yeah, and the, the problem has always been he gets taken out by lesser characters. Well, Loki is is a more higher up on the the power level. Oh, sure. So that I understand. But the, the, the Ant-Man issue is one that's going to come back to haunt a sure, little bit. Sure, sure. Because, like I say, you have so many different elements going on with now the Kang Council coming in, and they're all going to attack Kang Prime, mm-hmm. as he's referred to in the comics. Right. This is going to get weird the next time we see him. Right. Now, they did have a great bonus scene after, which was the precursor for Loki Season 2, mm-hmm. where you did see that uh, Loki and Mobius yep. from the, the uh, TVA, TVA went back in time, and they're now in the early 1920s. It's like a vaudeville and stage show type of mm-hmm. thing. And they're now keeping an eye on Victor Timely, who is a variant of Kang. Right, and Loki's freaking the fuck out because he's on stage, and he goes, oh, that's the guy, that's his face. Mm-hmm. So that's how it wraps up. But like I say, if you're a comic reader, you got this and you understood this very well. But the, this is where the problem now becomes for Marvel in my opinion, Mm -hmm. you're now bigger than the comic audience. You're now pop culture being bigger than the, the comic audience 
means you need to take more time to explain this Mm -hmm. because it's not something easy to just go, oh, I got it. You had multiple variants. Yeah. Each with an equal story of their own. Yep. It does tie into the Fantastic Four, but are you going to try introducing the Fantastic Four in the MCU with this? It's it's tough. Like I could see them honestly, and granted, I have not heard anything about the script. I wouldn't doubt that first Fantastic Four movie is against Ramatut. Could be. I think that would make a lot more sense at this stage because now we don't know when we're going to see Kang next, right. other than Loki. Well, I would say other than Loki, yeah. Right. But when are you going to try doing the Council of Kang and when he goes to fight everybody? Because you know that's going to happen. Yeah. That's the situation that you're going to have to try figuring out. And, I mean, I'm sure Feige, listen, we've trusted everything he's done so far. I know he has a plan in place. It just depends on how much it's going to connect. That's the big issue because the only thing we know coming up the rest of the year, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, not involved with Kang. Mm -hmm. The Marvels, arguably. Might not be. Might not be, but arguably. We do know Loki. Yeah, Loki is going to be the next time we see him, but it's Victor Timely. Right. It's another variant. Right. So how are you going to bring this back? Right. So in theory, we might not see the Council of Kangs till next year. Well, until 2025 at least, because that's when you have Avengers, the Kang dynasty. Right. But that's a weird end scene to leave hanging for two years. Mm-hmm. Like You understand what I'm saying with that? Pat? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the problem I think they have now. And they're going to need to figure it out because you have this council and I mean, it's the worst versions of Kang all trying to, you know, take each other out sure. and, and they need to work together. Sure. And obviously they have some technology. I know I was reading online too. the people were, were speculating it was Dr. Dooms because they've tried now connecting Doom to Kang, mm-hmm. which I, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. It. It, it, it's going to be we all know that Kang is Nathan Richards a descendant in the family of Reed Richards so how this all shapes up is anybody's guess and is all speculation just the only thing we know is for introducing Kang they did a good job yeah but it could have been better oh absolutely that I think that for anybody that was doubting the future of the MCU and saying well maybe it's too much oversaturation anything like that no but what I think they need to do... There's just, they're just too much on the plate right now. There's just way too much on the plate that they need to just cut up and break into portions. Well, and that's why I think it's smart that they announced within the last week or so that you're not going to see as many TV shows mm-hmm. this coming year. So I think there's really the only the two confirmed for this year, one being Loki, and I forget what the other Secret one is. Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. So those, those are going to be the only two Marvel television shows you see on Disney Plus this year, mm-hmm. which I think will help. You know, you know, it's stream because when you don't have nine films and 14 TV shows to plan in a calendar year, you know, it helps streamline things a little bit better. Yeah. And I think they're going to need to do this because to tell the Kang story right. You really have to make sure you have all your I's dotted and T's crossed. It can get messy because now you're you're dabbling in time travel. And this is one thing that we always complain about with the Flash. Yeah. That any time you mess with time travel on a routine basis, mm-hmm. and that's what they they do with Kang. That's all he does. Right. It gets messy. You really need to make sure that you fine-tune it. Right. This was a solid introduction into it, but with those post-credit scenes, one looked better than the other. Yes. And the one is more noteworthy from the comics. So if that's the story we're going to go with, 
man, I'm just hoping, yeah, maybe slow down a little bit, maybe make sure that yeah. we were fine-tuned heading into it because otherwise you're seriously going to lose the pop culture audience. And that, I'm not saying, is the end of Marvel Studios. Right, right. And I think they finally have realized things. You know, there was a little, and even all of it, while I enjoyed all of the shows, varying degrees for some of them, you know, it, it was honestly a little too much. Yeah. You know, I'm between Hawkeye and Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki and... WandaVision and it, it, you know, just so much so quickly on top of everything else coming out that, okay, we're only going to keep it to the two. We're only going to keep it to the three movies or whatever's coming out here. That's fine. You know, keep it streamlined. And I think with the kind of reception they've had from the fans with just kind of like it, oh, and kind of like, I don't, maybe it's a vocal minority. I don't know what the percentage breaks out to, but the folks saying, oh, you know, hadn't been as good as since Endgame and then since the buildup to Endgame and this and that. And it, and it has felt like that, but that's because we don't know where we're going. Right. You know, I think they might realize, OK, we're, we're kind of losing some folks. We need to take a step back, recollect ourselves and get this shit together. Well, the big problem that you have after Endgame to some is you're now getting introduced to a wider and broader Marvel c- Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. There is multiple areas, and we have only begun to scratch the surface of characters in this MCU. Right. So you're not going to see Captain America. Uh, as There's much. no need to. Well, you're going to not. Let me rephrase it. You're not going to see Steve Rogers. Right. You're going to see Sam Wilson. Right. You're not going to see Tony Stark. You're going to see Riri Williams. Mm-hmm. Thor. It's a new generation. To be determined. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But you're also getting introduced to a lot more street-level heroes, especially the ones coming from Netflix. Right. You are going to see a little more supernatural coming, as we've seen with Werewolf by Night. And you're also seeing a little more cosmic pending the fallout from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much the three big areas we're going to see, let alone whatever the fate is going to be of the X-Men slash mutants right. in the MCU. Right, when they, when they get brought in. Right. So, like I say, it's a wider range that fans are going to have to get used to and find new favorites because everybody is so used to the team they've seen now, you have to get used to the new versions of heroes that are out there in the MCU. That's going to be the challenge. So I think fans are ready for it, but yeah. you, you have to you have to ease them in because we've had the original MCU cast for how long? God, ten plus years. Right. Change does scare a lot of people, and especially with how much they were coming with new characters, that could be something that's going to really test the pop culture audience. Mm-hmm. It's not you know insurmountable odds. No, God no. But like I say, when you deal with a wider and broader MCU. You're going to have a lot of faces that you are going to have to connect with fandom. You can. You just got to tell great stories and go back to that formula you've always done. Mm-hmm. Focus on the stories, focus on the characters, and really sell it to the pop culture audience. Yeah. You can definitely do it. So that said, Pat, final thoughts on this movie. Like I said, the movie was all right. You know, it wasn't anything like home run, smash hit, greatest movie of all time. But it was fun. You know, it had its moments. And there were certainly some moments that could have been better. You know, that being said, I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon. Probably some point down the road, you know, if I'm doing a rewatch of the stuff after Endgame, you know. But do I see myself jumping day one when this movie comes out on Disney Plus in like a couple of months? Probably not. Yeah, I'm with you. This movie, like I said, seven out of ten. And I, it, it's better than average, but it's not great. There are quite noticeable flaws 
through this. Quite big noticeable flaws, I should say. You do have a lot of characters in this mm-hmm. that didn't need to be in this. And you also had a David versus Goliath that wasn't needed. No. Especially not when this is Goliath's first appearance that you really need to establish how much of a true threat that person is. Granted, Jonathan Majors did a phenomenal job with this, with the material he had, and Michelle Pfeiffer too. Everybody else just kind of found their way in this movie, but it kind of felt like more like the Disney happy ending formula that we've seen time in and time out. It's only going to work for so much, but long term, this movie is just going to be a blip on the radar in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's still a fun one. It's still worth watching, but I agree with you. I'm not going to exactly be camped out in front of my TV on you know Disney Plus Dave when this drops. Like, will I watch it again? Yeah, if it's on, sure. But I'm not actively seeking it out unless I really want to rewatch Jonathan Major's performance as Kang because that's the takeaway I have from this. Everything else was a nice story and fit into the Disney slash Marvel mold, but there are certain cracks in it that I just could not look past, and I can't really co-sign and saying this was a phenomenal movie. But if this is your movie and you're and you're super excited about it, by all means, be excited about it. Don't let us kind of sway your opinion about this. We just gave you our thoughts about this, but now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH Pod. Ant-Man and the Wasp, quantum mania, brother. Give us your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anthony from They Called Us a Movie, inviting you to join us on a journey through the B-movies, bargain bins, and box office disasters of movie history. Each week, we put a movie under the microscope to try to figure out what went wrong, what went right, and what went somewhere in between. Check us out wherever you get your podcast by searching They Called Us a Movie, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at TicTamPod. That's T-C-T-A-M-Pod. They Called Us a Movie, testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to talk television's biggest show. Mm-hmm. By far and away, each and every week, we are blown away by the performances of Pedro Pascal in the title role of Joel and Bella Ramsey in the title role of Ellie. And, Pad, what show are we talking about? The Last of Us. Yes. It has been dominating ratings and viewers' minds each and every Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on HBO Max. And the video game adaptation has definitely got people talking. So that said, we are going to be talking about the latest episode, episode six, entitled Kin. So you know the deal by now. Spoiler-free statement, countdown, spoiler talk. So, Pad, that said, spoiler-free statement on Kin. Thought it was a good episode, and holy fuck that cliffhanger ending. Yeah. Goddamn. Yeah. They did a great job with the cliffhanger ending um they took some liberties from the video game i hear Mm. so interesting to see how this all plays out Mm -hmm. um but it didn't take anything away from it i was trying to think if there's anything i really didn't like about this episode but strong acting strong writing yet again wins out and it is a must watch show nevertheless so if you haven't checked it out make sure you do that said, in three, two, one, let's talk. I thought they did a great job with their story, and I know they, they varied from the video game sure. a little bit. Sure. Because as we get into the ending, it is different. But the one thing that I've heard that is different mm-hmm. from the video game is 
Jackson, Wyoming, where Tommy is, mm-hmm. is now already established. That was in game two from what I've heard. Mm, okay. So if that is true, I think that's very interesting. I'm not saying to speculate about anything with this series other than that. Sure. But I think they're being smart about it by mixing it up just a little bit. Keeps the uh, video game players on their toes. Right. So that would be the only thing that I think would be slightly interesting with that. Because like we said, I have not played enough of the game to say I'm an aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to say if they are speeding things up a little bit and certain characters they are introducing, it does make sense. But we do know that there's only two video games of this. And we have heard talk that there are some rumblings about a third one now. They said if they want to, they might. Then nothing's confirmed. Right. But obviously, if they're mentioning it out loud, you know something's up with it. Yeah. So this episode, though, kicks off with a few months after we saw the tragic deaths of Henry and Sam Mm -hmm. in Kansas City. Which, thanks for the knife twist again, reminding us of that. Yeah. But it's something this show does. And does very well. Like, they don't let you forget a lot mm-hmm. about the previous episodes. They want to keep everything still very fresh. Yep. And it does make a lot of sense as they move forward with it. So I, I don't mind that as much. Like I say, I think they do a very, very solid job with that. Yeah. And they definitely keep things moving at a brisk pace. So like I say, if they are doing a little bit of time jump, so to speak, as they are, it's fine with me. Like I say, I have no real problem with it. So now the pair has made their way to Jackson, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Why is this important, Pad? Uh, this is where uh, Joel has been told his brother Tommy is currently living. Right. So this is a very big deal that after all this time of being separated from his brother, when we haven't seen him since the first episode. Yeah. If memory serves. No, you're that, right. We haven't seen him since episode one. Yeah, which is wild to think about, but yet it still plays into that. And that's Gabriel Luna, who is mm-hmm. returning as Tommy, Joel's younger brother, yep. is now flourishing in a community that it seems untouched by the fungus virus that is going around. I will say kudos to these people who built this community because you could teach the Walking Dead a few things. Yes. Because holy fuck. No, like this place has got massive walls that are real thick, hard to get through. You know, they've got uh, electricity and they've got po- they've got power. They've got like a movie theater you know an old, with an old school uh film movie projector you know they've they got it all going on yeah no they definitely have a lot happening here which is a bit of a surprise so now it seems like the utopia is here okay well how do we do this yeah you know how do we find our way here and you are seeing that there is a lot of question marks about what Joel and Ellie are up to. Right. Because they come into town. Tommy is now going to be a father because his wife, Maria, mm-hmm. is now pregnant. Mm-hmm. So he is very reluctant to get... Do anything. Anything outside of the community because, obviously, he's got priorities at home. And Joel is sitting there trying to convince him to take Ellie to where that she needs to go. Yep. Because he is now starting to crack. Uh-huh. And completely understandable. If you've been seeing the amount of stuff that he has gone through. He's been through some shit. Yeah. This is kind of one of the more interesting phases that we've seen. So I completely understand that if he's like, listen, I can't do this, and you're breaking yeah. you know, from this happening, 
yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So like I said, I had no real issue with this is just kind of going, okay, well, what do we do from here? If you can't, if you can't go, because if you can't go, this isn't going to play because the only time that we've had anybody really kind of give them like a sense of normalcy talk is the, the couple that they ran into on the way in the beginning, which I say, we, we didn't really want to spend a lot of time talking about yeah. because there really wasn't too much other than they were just advised. Don't go West. Yeah. Go East. There, there was like a river or a Creek or something. They're like, don't, don't cross this point. Oh, where, where should we go back East? Yeah. So they do wind up going obviously to Wyoming. And that's like I said, this is where Joel is just, drained mm-hmm. i mean that's the easiest way to describe it I mean, they've gone from boston to wyoming in a very short span of time mm-hmm. so all this time he's sitting there trying to get rid of ellie ellie is sitting there you know like not willing to have joel leave her because mm-hmm. even though he's not saying anything in front of her about it she's picking up on it yeah and she and they do this great connection scene like i said bella ramsey did this scene amazing and you can see her saying, like, I don't want somebody else. I, You know, I want you to protect me. Like, mm, you've done this. Cut the shit. Yeah, like, we can do this. And you know, Joel is just sitting there like he can't because he's, like, he's worried that he can't protect her. Mm-hmm. And with all the stuff he's done. I mean, he's only human. Like He's, he's you know, only human yeah. after all. Yeah. He's only doing what he can do, but it's it's just taking the time to break him. But well, didn't he bring up at one point with, with uh, Tommy? About losing his sight or something like that. Yeah, he said that something. He's starting to, you know, deteriorate a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's, he's not as uh, sharp as he once was. Yeah, but you do see that she. He's still trying to push forward though, and and Tommy is just in there, just denying it from happening as well. So it is kind of an interesting scenario in that in that play. Mm-hmm. But you do see that they do wind up going forward. And you do see the emotional back and forth because, like I say, Joel is in there. He's just breaking down because, obviously, he lost his daughter in the, in the beginning of the season. Well, yep. And now he's, like, he's worried he can't keep this up because, like, every time that they've tried progressing forward, there's been something that's challenged Ellie. Mm-hmm. And if Ellie's the key to stopping this, she needs to be protected at all. And they – it's just – it's so much of an emotional toll. Like I say, I can't stress it enough about the acting on this. Phenomenal acting. Yeah, you just see, like I said, Bella Ramsey brought out something in Pedro Pascal on this. And like, you see him breaking – and it's just her acting that draws it out. And yeah. That's, that's how you know you have something special with this show. So they do wind up going, though, after all, because in the morning, because they kind of sleep on the decision, but in the morning, like, Joel is kind of like, listen, whatever you want to decide, who goes with you? And Ellie throws her bag into his gut mm-hmm. and says, like, we're going to Colorado. Yeah. So they wind up traveling to the University of Colorado from here. Mm-hmm. And they are given the open invite about coming back to Jackson yep. when they're done. Yep. But they wind up going to the university because they're also trying to figure out what is going on there, if they can do something with a cure. Obviously, they get to the campus. It's completely a ghost town. Yeah. They wind up making their way into the laboratory. That's been trashed. Yep. They wind up taking a look on a map. And all signs now point to Utah. Mm-hmm. During their time in the university, they do see another group of thieves mm-hmm. walking around. Well, and they also come upon a group of monkeys in said laboratory, which, looking back, might have tipped off the folks in the area that someone was there. Yeah, if you got a if you got a bunch of lab monkeys who normally don't say anything unless you approach them, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, start making loud noises and run outside. Might be a good indicator someone's there. Yeah, so it is a very interesting point to bring up about those monkeys running around because I was like, we're well, 
are they infected or what's going on there? Uh, my guess was just they were, unfortunately, lab experiments of some, yeah. of some sort that just when shit hit the fan, they were left there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Because like, to, but, to my knowledge, and at least the way they've shown it in the show, we don't know if anything happens to animals in this one with us. It's right. Kinda, it's kind of like The Walking Dead. It's like not really ever explained. Yeah, like that's what I was fearing, that they were getting experimented on, which I was like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. This is just a bad idea top to right, bottom. Right, right. So that said, Joel and Ellie try making the escape. They do run into one of the yeah. uh, thieves. Yeah. Joel fends him off. Yeah. And kills him, but during the time, he gets stabbed. With like a spike. Right. Which this is different from the video game from what I heard because I believe he fell off a uh, railing. Oh, okay. And was impaled. Oh, okay. So he does bleed out here, so this is not anything super drastic from right, right. the show. Right. Or the video game, rather. So they do wind up escaping on horseback, though, as they as that's yep. how they travel there. Yep. And while they're traveling... Joel collapses from from the loss of blood. Yeah. So the final image of this episode is Joel dying in front of Ellie after they've basically reconnected and said, listen, I can't survive without you. Yeah. And Ellie is just standing over him crying her eyes out. Yeah. I'm watching. I was watching this with my girlfriend, Liz, and she's really gotten into the show. And she's like, no, no, it can't end there. No, it can't end there. And then the credits start rolling. Right. And she just goes, God damn it. Right, which, I mean, this is a crazy thing to think about, but with the show being, I don't want to say it's on borrowed time, but let's face it, there's only two video games. Like, let's say there's only two video games, and they've already said season two is going to focus on the stuff from part two. Right. Where do you go from here? Like, you you know that certain characters are on borrowed time. Like, I know one is on extremely borrowed time. <laughs> yeah, he is. So, that said... You know, we, you have to think like, okay, how can we drag this out now for three more episodes in the season? Mm-hmm. And is it possible we speed things up? Because like I say, the thing about Jackson, I thought if I read correctly, and if I'm wrong, obviously ODPH Pod, correct me, doesn't come into play until the season or there, episode there could be two. some. There could be some stuff though that because Neil Druckmann, who wrote and was involved with the at the development of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have some stuff that like was going to be used in the game but got cut for whatever reason time budget because <laughs> budget does factor into video games you know or just re- lack of resources or whatever that they could insert into this story for season one season two mm. so that could that could play a part into it it could be i mean it might have my signals crossed though because there is the horse that's mm. involved and i guess the horse is not in right till uh, uh, part two of last right. of us so that's probably where I'm thinking of because we did see the horse right. shimmer. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was in um, that's from video game two. Right. So, like I said, that might be throwing me off of Jackson. Either way, we still had a great episode mm-hmm. that did a lot to reconnect the pair and kind of give them a new purpose. But yet now you're seeing them trying to figure out what are you going to do when without me. And now we have a real situation where things look bleak enough that somebody's not going to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pat, final thoughts on the episode? Phenomenal episode. I'm excited to see where this goes, and it's one of the best shows I've ever seen, hands down. Yeah, this show is absolutely crushing it. Even if you're not into video games, you need to go check the show out. Yeah. The acting and writing has been superb thus far. Yeah, I'd say my girlfriend, who, like, her main foray with video games is, like, Pokemon, and that's kind of it, mm-hmm. is loving this show. Yeah, there's no way you can't. Because, like I say, Bella Ramsey is getting something out of Pedro Pascal. And really drawing his emotions out with his acting. 
and and like vice versa because I mean we've seen Pedro in a lot of things, in a lot of various different roles. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and I could be wrong about this. Maybe it's just me. I'm seeing Bella really challenge him, and you know, like I say, when you have a great pairing of actors, you see them bring out the best in each other. That's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and Bella's really getting something out of Pedro here that I haven't seen a lot of people do. And this is great, and this is why it's connecting so much because you're seeing the challenge go on. You're seeing how they are really stuck with each other, and the fear of losing one of them is absolutely terrifying. And now it's right there in their face. Like, how do you how do you plan for this? Crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But like we say, it's one of the best shows on TV for a reason. This is deserving all the praise it's getting. Three more episodes left. And I have no idea where we're going with this. If Joel even survives, I think it'd be wild that they killed him off in this season. Or does he make it to next season? Does he magically survive? Or what about Ellie? Does she make it to next season? Hmm. Plot twist. Dun, dun, dun. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about The Last of Us, Episode 6, entitled Kin? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating, enlightening, and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod. And check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what do you have? Got a couple things to talk about uh, sports-wise. Uh, obviously, the one of which being the local minute and looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League. That, of course, is the league our local Binghamton Black Bears playing. Uh, in the Empire Division, Binghamton still sitting in second place behind Danbury. Uh, Danbury with a record of 28 wins, six losses, and then five losses in overtime or shootout. Binghamton in second place with a record of 26 wins, nine losses, and then two losses in overtime or shootout looking at the record for or their schedule excuse me from this past week uh they had a game on friday february 17th uh that was at home against the danbury hat tricks where they lost by the final score of three to two uh and then they won their game on saturday february 18th uh against the elmira mammoth by the final score of four to one so looking ahead to their schedule they have this upcoming weekend they have two games both of them at home, uh, both against the Carolina Thunderbirds. There is a game on Friday at 7 o'clock Eastern against the Carolina Thunderbirds and another game on Saturday, uh, same great time, same great place, against the Carolina Thunderbirds at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, because, hey, there's also a game on Sunday, so they got a three-peat. I'm just looking at this. they got a three-peat. The game on Sunday, though, is at 3 o'clock Eastern. Mm. Uh, so note the special time. Uh, so for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, Binghamton blackbears.com 
Uh, and then we got to talk a little bit of uh, pro wrestling. Yeah, we do. I mean, we said in the beginning of the show this is going to be more like a fusion episode where we talk a little sports and pro wrestling mixed in with the usual movies, TV, and comics. And we have to talk about the card that was this past weekend from the WWE, a premium live event, yes, which has now transcended the wrestling audience and is now in pop culture. Yeah. You can't you cannot tell me otherwise because the reaction acknowledge the PLE. This show had in one match in particular. Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. Well, in some people's minds, yes, but <laughs> one match in particular. Like I said, I had to get a fancy and say in particular because my god, mm-hmm. the reaction this match had for fans that don't watch pro wrestling usually. Mhm really screams volumes of how much people are invested in the story of the bloodline. Yeah. And, Pad, what event are we talking about? We're talking about the Elimination Chamber uh, Premium Live Event, or pay-per-view, which took place this past uh, Saturday from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, in the Bell Center. uh, and announced attendance of 17,271. I know they said it was, like, the largest gate in Elimination Chamber history. It was also the largest gate at the Bell Center they've ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, the most watched PLE, Elimination Chamber PLE they've ever had on the Peacock. Breaking all sorts of records. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal about the build-up for this. The show in Montreal absolutely crushed it. The crowd, one of the best I've ever seen. Yes, because Montreal has always been a hot crowd in pro wrestling, which means, if you're not familiar, it is a very loud and boisterous crowd. They are definitely into the matches from bell to bell, and this is something that, as a performer, you definitely want to hear the crowd react to you. Good, bad, or indifferent, you want a reaction. The crowd was invested. Ariel Hawani, the most unbiased journalist of all pro wrestling uh, or combat sports, was in attendance, too who, like I say, he asks those hard-hitting questions and nobody ever ducks those. It was, like I say, if he's in attendance, you know it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And this card definitely had it. There's obviously a few matches that are now going to lead to the future of WrestleMania, which is the biggest event of all of pro wrestling throughout the calendar year. Mm-hmm. So, Pat, let's recap the card and let's give our thoughts on it, shall we? Yeah, so the opening match was the Women's Elimination Chamber match for a WWE Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania 39 against uh, Bianca Belair. Uh, And you had Asuka emerge victorious, defeating Carmella, Liv Morgan, Natalia, Nikki Cross, and Raquel Rodriguez in 19 minutes and 30 seconds. Great match. Uh, very fun elimination chamber. I match, went, match went quicker than I thought because I'll be honest. I thought this match was like under 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't realize until I was listening to 607 TWS this week that it was 19 minutes. I'm like, holy fuck, that was longer than I thought it was. It was definitely longer. They definitely had some great spots in there. I thought, yeah. Car- I thought Carmella being the heel running into different pods was a cool spot. But we all had an idea this was going to be Asuka's yeah. to lose. And yeah. she came in there and obviously proved her dominance. It's going to be a phenomenal match at Mania between her and Bianca Belair. I'm super mm-hmm. excited for it. Oh, yeah. Big win. Big win all around. It's going to be nuts. Uh, next up was a matchup between Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. And you have Bobby Lashley emerge victorious via disqualification in uh, four minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, this one went the way we thought. It definitely did. Brock Lesnar giving him a nut kick, though, did not fully expect. No. But it does appear that... We are going to have two WrestleMania matches form out of this. We're going to get something. Well, on Monday Night Raw this past week, they did a challenge, Almas versus Brock Lesnar. Yeah. And Bray Wyatt had previously called out the winner of this match to face him at Mania. Yep. So it does appear we're getting Bray Wyatt versus Bobby Lashley, which that's an interesting I'm all right match. With. I'm, I'm, I'm completely all right with. 
I'm just very surprised. Her business reunites to help uh, Bobby Lashley with uh, Uncle Howdy. You know what? If it leads to the Hurt Business coming back, which is Bobby Lashley's old faction, I am here for it. Yeah. I will definitely mark out for that match. I think I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic between those two, but I think they'll put on a hell of a match. Yeah. Uh, Lesnar almost, like yeah, like I said, I don't know what to think of that one. They've yet. been teasing the Hurt Business reuniting, especially with Bobby Lashley for so long. Like, pull the trigger, please. Yeah, make it happen. Uh, next up was a mixed tag team match between Edge and Beth Phoenix. I refuse to call them by that name they've, they've been given. The Grit Couple? <sighs> the Hall of Famers. Uh, going up against the Judgment Day in Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley uh, with your favorite wrestler, Dominic Mysterio, at ringside. Uh. Uh, and you had the Hall of Famers in Edge and Beth Phoenix emerge victorious via pinfall in 13 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, this match was okay. This match was probably the weakest point on the card, and it wasn't necessarily like an awful match. No, it was, it was a solid match between the Grit Couple Yep, and Finn and Rhea. Yeah. But why Dominic Mysterio was in this match for the amount of time that he was. Well, no, we know why. Reasons. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's not working. He's getting negative heat from the crowd, which is not a good reaction. Uh, if you watch that match, you can definitely tell. They don't want to see him on there any which way, shape, or form. Neither do I. Neither do most wrestling fans I know. He's just he's not ready for primetime. Easiest way to say no. it. And, and for all intents, you would think, oh, they're, they're done with this matchup. They're done with this feud. Nope. Finn attacked Edge on Monday Night Raw. Uh, and there's some certain rumors floating around about Finn Balor and what might be coming back. I'll just leave that where it is. You can figure that out for yourself. I'd be okay with that. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain demon. Uh, you know, uh, might see uh, Edge versus Finn Balor at WrestleMania, which I'm all right with that. I'm a thousand percent all right with that. Yeah. Uh, next up in the co-main event of the evening was the men's elimination chamber match for the WWE United States Championship. Uh, and you had Austin Theory defend his belt successfully against Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, Johnny Gargano, Montez Ford, and Seth freaking Rollins in 31 minutes and 30 seconds. Great match. Phenomenal match. Yeah. Montez Ford off the top of the pot, off the top of the cage. What the fuck? Yeah, he was doing a lot of crazy spots in this. And it got the crowd excited. The ending, though, very surprising because they had Montez Ford uh, injured, quote-unquote. Air quotes. Air quotes. The the cage door swung open, and Logan Paul, yes, Mm -hmm. that Logan Paul, Mm -hmm. jumped in the ring and attacked Seth Rollins, costing him the match. To which everyone going, why is Logan Paul here? Have you missed all of the shit-talking Seth Rollins has been doing his way since Royal Rumble? Yeah, made perfect it, sense. It was clear as day. So that match, we are going to see at, Pro, at WrestleMania. Yep, I'm all right with Pro wrestling fans, get ready. It's going to be a great match. As long as Seth is wearing those Astro boots again. Oh, you imagine the outfit he is going to come out with. <sighs> it's going to be so good. And comic fans, if you have not seen, he has a promo right now where he's doing the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, oh, which is absolutely yeah. a crazy promo. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, and then in the main event of the evening was Roman Reigns defending the undisputed the WWE Universal Championship against the hometown hero, the hometown boy, looking for some hometown cooking, Sami Zayn, uh, which I guess the hometown cooking might have been a little spoiled because Roman Reigns emerged victorious, defeating Sami Zayn via pinfall in 32 minutes and 20 seconds. So let's give this a little quick backstory, because if you are not familiar with this, Roman Reigns has been champions for almost three years now. Over 900 days. Yes. So it is an astonishing feat in this day and age of pro wrestling to hold the belt that long. Especially in WWE history, the only person to have held the belt longer than him is Bruno San Martino, who was like over a thousand days or whatever the hell it is, but it was six years. Yes. 
So the fact Roman has held on to it too long, this long is great. It's not too long. It's really he's still entertaining. He's still holding the audience's attention. He's mm-hmm. still he's still selling merch. Ratings are still through the roof. Yeah, he is the one guy that is the driving force of all WWE, and he's established that his family, aka the Bloodline, is around him. So his mm-hmm. cousins, the Usos, Solo Sokoa, are there along with the wise man, his uh, advisor, Paul Heyman, legendary manager. Yep. And they are really running crazy throughout the WWE. Running roughshod. Earlier this uh, past year, one Sami Zayn, King of the Underground, uh, Conspiracy Theory mm-hmm. uh, Extraordinaire, mm-hmm. was trying to join them. And what he needed tr- some protection or something y- like that? Yeah, it was a it was a kind of a throwaway story for him. Yeah, but he wound up winning over the crowd, winning over the writers, winning over everybody. With his performance, that he now became part of the show. I think the easiest comparison is the show Family Matters, and they say how Urkel was supposed to be a write-off character, sure, and now became the star of the show. Sure, it's kind of in a same setup like that that you have a a character that's only supposed to be part of the show for so long. Or Daryl and Walking Dead. Yep, another example of that. Sure, and they wind up becoming the star. Yeah, that's what you've had with Sammy. Sammy has been absolute must-watch. When he's with the bloodline, because mm-hmm. he does something that gets the crowd to go crazy. Yeah, he gets everybody to break. He makes everybody break their character. Yeah. And it's becoming now he is one over the pop culture audience along with the wrestling audience. So a lot of eyes were on this because at Rus- at the Royal Rumble, Sammy turned on the bloodline. And after a couple weeks of abuse from Roman, he finally stood up and hit him with a steel chair. Mm-hmm. Roman retaliated. And when Sammy jumped him from behind and he said, you know what? I never wanted this, but now I want your title. And Roman said, I'm going to give you that shot. Cause I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to hurt. I'm going to break your family. Like you did mine. So I'm going to do it in front of your hometown in Montreal. So the WWE has been doing this phenomenal job this entire past week, building this up. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Ariel Hawani, the most respected journalist in all of combat sports is in attendance in his hometown too of Montreal with the hometown hero GSP. Yes. They made this into an event. And on social media, Saturday night, everybody was talking about this. This match went on. Roman won by nefarious means. Of course. But it still kept the storyline going. It took nothing away from Sami Zayn. No. I know there there is a lot of fans that felt that Sami should have won. If if Roman weren't champion for 900 days, you know, and like I said, the only person who's been champion longer than he has is Bruno San Martino, who held the belt for six years Mm -hmm. i'd say yes there's a shot sammy could win sure but roman is on a historic run that it takes a historic challenger to beat him yes now like you said does sammy get hurt by this loss absolutely not no flashback to when sammy was doing the great conspirator Mm -hmm. and he he was having the film crew document all the conspiracies going against him would i have believed sammy's a main eventer with that gimmick fuck no now absolutely you can tell me that Sammy's going to main event SummerSlam, Money in the Bank, you know, Survivor Series. Take your pick. And I'll go, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Back then? No. No, he's definitely elevated his stock, and he is in that upper tier with his friend, Kevin Owens, in my opinion. Yeah. So Sammy lost this because when the referee was knocked out. The referees. Yep, Jimmy Uso came in, hit him a couple super kicks. He got out of that one. Jey Uso came in, who had been torn for his loyalties and had a standoff with Roman, actually got 
caught in the middle yep. of a spear yep. uh, tackle that from Sammy, from Sammy that took out Jay. So with Jay tackled with the spear, he then was slim pickings for Roman to hit him and take him out. God, in the in the photos of Sammy's back after these chair shots. Yeah, fuck. So it plays right into the storyline of the underdog was that close and could have won. And definitely sent the fans home. Even though in, in defeat, they still were happy. Yeah. You know, like I say, and it did not hurt Sammy one bit. So that said, we now have solidified the main event for WrestleMania is going to be Cody Rhodes, who had the ultimate comeback story this past March, returning to the WWE after leaving to go in the Indies and AEW for three years, mm-hmm. is now back home. And is coming back from one of the nastiest injuries you've ever seen with a torn uh, bicep. Yep. Is now in prime position to go take the belt off Roman. This is a stronger storyline than the Sammy one. But the pop culture audience is not really accepting this right now. But give it time and trust me, you will. Because there's they have spent now a couple segments on Monday Night Raw to really sell mm-hmm. Cody versus Roman. Mm-hmm. They have the proper people in there to sell it in Cody and Paul Heyman. Yeah. This will be fine for Mania. The crowd will not be booing if Cody wins the title. Have you not heard the crowd on Monday Night Raw the last couple weeks when his music is hit Mm -hmm. and the the chorus hits the, wow, the entire fucking building does it. Yeah. Like Cody's turned it into this whole thing where like he throws his arm out, he he tips his head back and he does it and they all do it with him. It's a monstrous pop. Yeah. You times that by however many are going to fit into inside of uh, SoFi. SoFi Stadium? Christ. Yeah. And Sammy will be, become a champion, too, because I think they're going to hold off the hug between him and Kevin Owens, his best friend, until they win the belts. There will be a handshake of, like, I agree to help you, but they're not going to hug until after they win the belts. Yeah. Like I said, it's going to be a great moment. So WrestleMania will be one to watch this week or this year. Rather. Yeah. But we feel like we're watching a lot of pro wrestling this week. Monday Night Raw didn't really have too many highlights on it. No. Just, you know, obviously they're kind of getting settled in from the fallout of uh, Elimination Chamber. Yeah, I mean, Lita and Becky Lynch are going to challenge for the women's tag team belts next week. Yeah. Which should be something. That should be something. I don't think they're going to win, but I think it'll set up something for Mania, which I'm okay with. Yeah. And then we're now on the road to WrestleMania. So, you know, it's going to be a fun time for pro wrestling fans to get on board because there'll be a lot of great wrestling happening first weekend of April. And if you want even more pro wrestling content, 607TWS on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah. Definitely have a lot more deep diving of the indie scene going on right now. Absolutely. So, Pat, before we end things, why don't you hit off your comic picks? Because I got a lot this week. I got only the three. Uh, obviously, first of which is Gargoyles, issue number three from Greg Weissman. Obviously, this is the continuation of the Gargoyles uh, cartoon series. Fantastic fucking writing. Can't wait to see where they go with this. And, of course, Greg Weissman, who was involved with the cartoon, is involved with the writing of this, so you can't go wrong there. Dynamite Entertainment. Yep. Uh, from the folks over at Marvel, got two Star Wars ones. Uh, first of which is Star Wars Yoda, issue number four uh, from Jody Hauser. And then you've got uh, Luke Ross as the artist. Uh, this one is the description of this. And I'm reading the description of this. Uh, specifically, quote, years before the Clone Wars, Yoda asks an old friend to come teach the next generation of Jedi alongside him, Master Dooku. Uh, and with mysterious visions haunting one of his students, Master Yoda will need all the help he can get. So you get pre-Count Dooku, pre-Evil Dooku Dooku, I'm all for it. Uh, and lastly, and certainly not leastly, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, the, uh, this is from the folks over at Dark Horse, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, The Nameless Terror, issue number one from George Mann. Uh, listen, it's more High Republic. High Republic is some of the best storytelling they've got going in Star Wars 
period. I'll put it up there with the cartoon, with the animated stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't, and plus, it's George Mann, who just had the fantastic book slash audio drama uh, come out, you know, The Battle of Jeddah. Uh, listen, if it's George Mann, I'm on board. Solid picks. All right. Get ready, Pat. I did the most reviews I think I've done in a week. Oh, boy. So these are all up on Parlay Points and the Nerd Initiative website. So if you need links, odphpodcast.com will take you to both places. So let us begin with the one that is only for patrons that just came out. So like I said, one tier, $2 a month, you get bonus content like this. I gave a review of the brand new Superman book by Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell. Okay. So I said I wasn't going to go into it on air, but I'm mentioning it. On air to you. If you know Pad well, mm-hmm. Pad will love this book. Ooh, okay. And that's all I'm going to say on air about that because if you want to find out the deep dive about that, it's only for our patrons. So another reason you should sign up for it. I'll say th- this issue hit my radar because I saw it might have been from the Superman social media accounts, mm-hmm. but they shared a, a, an image from this panel or from this comic where it was Superman flying through. Uh, Metropolis, and he comes upon Luther Corps, Lex Corps, whatever the hell it's called, and it's got the Superman logo on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I went, "What the fuck?" Like I'm like, "This is this is interesting." And I was like, "I might pick it up if I remember." And then you mentioned like I need to read this, so it's on my list at home to go watch or to go read. Yeah, no, this is something I am expecting Pad to drop something on social media about because when I read this, I go, "Pad is one of the biggest Superman fans I know. He's gonna love this." Mm. So. That's the only hint you get for that. Otherwise, sign up for the Patreon. You get the whole deep dive. It's a great episode. Uh, Marvel side of things. Immoral X-Men, uh, number one. So this is still tying into the Sins of Sinister, uh, Kieran Gillian, and uh, Leanne Francis, Francis Yu, mm-hmm. uh, like doing amazing stuff as, as uh, always. So like I say, that's worth the pickup right there. Now we go to Parlay Points. Huge week, Pad. Mm. Kicking off things, Comixology Originals had a pair of books drop that you definitely need to go check out. Pen Ultimate Issues of both series, Ask for Mercy, The Circle of Time, Number 5 is out, Richard Starkings and Abigail Harding. Phenomenal book. Listen, if you haven't checked this out, I know the first couple seasons are out via Dark Horse Comics. Or actually, they're coming out in print via Dark Horse this month, or next month, actually. Okay. A lot of stuff going on, so... If you're looking for to get in the print shop, that's a place to go check out. Otherwise, Comixology Originals has it. The series is very cool if you're into sci-fi, uh, you know, a little fantasy going on too, so I don't want to spoil too much with it. There's a lot of things happening, but like I said, you're jumping in season four, so mm-hmm. you definitely want to go catch back up on the series. But okay. I jumped in in season four. I'm now going back to read and get the deeper dive, but it's been well worth the while. Like I said, the artwork on this is great. The writing's solid, so you definitely want to go check that out. Also, Comixology Originals via Best Jacket Press, Scott Snyder, Dan Pinozin, Canary Number Five. The horror western goes bat shit crazy. Mm. Some of the most intense visuals I've seen in a comic, and the story of Marshall Holt's last ride is picking up steam. This one is getting very, very chilling. And next issue, I'm expecting some real disturbing stuff. And and I mean this the nicest way possible. What Snyder and Pinozin are doing in this is just fantastic stuff. So I give it a very, very high recommendation. Um, Everything that's been coming out from Best Jacket Press has been hitting all its marks. Can't brag about it enough. 
Valiant Entertainment dropped us the Book of Shadows number four. Cullen Bond, Vincente Cifuentes. Uh, tying up the loose end. So this series, as we know, Valiant has been doing one book a month. And this is tying up the loose ends of the team book spinning out of the Shadow Man series. So if you're in the supernatural, this is going to be right up your alley. I thought it was a very solid finale. Uh, if this is the end for now, they ended things on a very, very solid note. It's well worth picking up. If you haven't checked the series out, I think it's been a very good one. A lot of people have been sleeping on it a little bit, so you definitely want to go check it out. And like I said, the finale just dropped. You want to make sure this is on your radar. Megan Carmina, Melissa Flores, Emma Kubert, Radiant Pink number three. So this has been a fun story involving the youngest Radiant out of the Massiverse pad. Mm. And this is something that is very lighthearted. It's a very easy story to get into. And this one kind of deals with a lot of trust issues that Radiant Pink is having with Kelly, the EMT that was with her when the explosion happened. And we find out, obviously, Kelly has got some uh, ulterior motives going on Mm. with how she got connected with Radiant Pink during the explosion. So... Like I said, great story to jump into. It's very fun. It's very entertaining. So if you're looking for something a little different, this is something that's going to be right up your alley because, like I say, it's very lighthearted. So definitely worth checking out. Also, spinning out of the massive verse, Inferno Girl Red, book one, number two, Mac Room, Erica DeRusso, Igor Monte, Becca Carey, absolutely crushing this. Uh, Like I say, we previewed it last month. Mac came on the ODPH to talk about it. Phenomenal job, and the book does not let up. It seriously picks right up. Obviously, this has been broken down from the Kickstarter graphic novel, and if you haven't gotten into this book, seriously, you don't know what you're missing. This is freaking awesome stuff, top to bottom. Give it a very, very high recommendation. Also, coming from Boom Studios, Mm -hmm. because both of those came from Image Comics. This is Boom Studios, and they had a monster week, too. Something is Killing the Children, number 29, James Tynan, Werther Del Rota, Miguel Muerto and and World Design. All right, so this book focuses on Erica Slaughter's return and how she's been facing Cutter this entire time. It's not for the tame of heart, I will okay. say, or weak of heart. I'm not going to show you images, Pad, because I know how you are. Yep. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. But this kind of dives back into the heartbreaking events of issue number 25 and really sets forth an interesting dynamic heading into the showdown between Erica and Cutter. So if you're into something is killing the children, and I hope you are because the book is all the praise it gets, it absolutely deserves. It's been a, a must read ever since I've started getting into it, and I'm going back to you know get caught up on certain things. Phenomenal work each and every time. From Image Comics, Black Cloak number two, Kelly Thompson, Meredith McLaren, and Becca Carey. So this is picking up on the sci-fi murder mystery that's been going on on the on the, on the world of Kiros. And after last issue, the cliffhanger ending just ramps up even more. I love how they're deep diving into this mysterious new world. And where Fedra is going now is going to be an absolutely wild journey to get on board with. So if you're looking for a great book to check out, like I said, Black Cloak number two is definitely one you want to keep on your radar. My highest recommendation of the week, though, is Specs number four, Boom Studios, David Boer, Chris Sheehan. This is the story, Pat, about the two friends in the 1980s that find the mysterious pair of glasses, like x-ray glasses, okay. from the 1960s comics. They didn't order them. They just find this comic. Gotcha. Next day, it shows up. It grants wishes. Hmm. Well, what happens if a wish goes wrong, Pat? Ooh. Okay. That's been the premise. And things have been moving at a very quick pace. The finale 
hits the marks. I marked out about it. I thought they did a, a phenomenal job with this. And the story is definitely satisfying for a conclusion. Hmm. Didn't think they left anything on the table. I think they tied up loose ends perfectly. Can't give this book a, a high enough recommendation if you're into horror books. This is going to be one that you want to keep on your radar. And if you haven't checked this out, like I said, get to the LCS and go get the back issues. Boom is putting out a lot of great horror books. And I know that I've never been a big horror fan, but I've now been converted to one because of the work coming out of Boom. No lie. That's hmm. serious. Image Comics has a book pad that 90s Image Comic fans can definitely appreciate. Okay. At least I did. But even if you're not into that early days of Image, you can still appreciate this book because it has just a certain feel to it. That's what it reminded me of. Local Man Number 1. So Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley mm-hmm. are behind this, and it's a story about how you have a hero that is disgraced somehow. Cross Jack, a.k.a. Jack Xavier, is now coming back home. He's been fired from the team he was on. We don't know why, but he is basically now public enemy number one. Hmm. And this story is very, very interesting. And they do it in uh, like in a twofold story because the first one is like present day. So you see now Jack has been released from his team. He's back home. Things are not good with his parents and the town. And nobody is saying what. Just the only common theme is literally fuck Crossjack. That is literally mm. what it said. Mo- multiple people say it right to his face. So we don't know what happened, but he's home, and there's a mystery going on involving certain people coming back, following home. Okay. The book also splits into a flip book, which this was big in the 90s. So that's why I kind of say this is more like in that sense. And it goes into his time on third gen, the team. Mm-hmm. This is something, like I say, it's, it's 90s. This reminds me, if you read Rob Liefeld's Young Blood. this has that same kind of feel to it in that sense when involving the team. So I give this book a high recommendation too. Like I said, I, th- I was really surprised at how good this was because I didn't really know a lot about it, and I just kind of looked at the cover, and I'm, I'll show you the cover. This isn't going to reveal too much. But what do you think is going on? Huh, I don't know. Right, it doesn't t- it doesn't tip off anything. No. So once you get into the book, it's like boom, blows you away. So really enjoy this book. Like I say, Local Man number one by Image Comics. You definitely want to keep an eye out. Damn them all, number five, Simon Spurrier, Charles Adlard. <sighs> this book is absolutely wild. Penultimate issue because they're going to be taking a hiatus after issue six. If I've read everything correctly from Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. This book has just been a wild trip. If you're into Constantine, this is along the same kind of vibe, feel, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Ellie Hawthorne's journey to investigate the murder of her uncle is definitely been an intense read. It's a fun read. It's it's a real crazy, crazy book. And I love it, though. I think it's it's one of the best ones out there. Really, And they give you one of the wildest cliffhanger endings in recent memory. And I don't want to spoil anything about this. If you're reading Damn Them All, and I know we have some listeners that do, just DM me. I will talk about this with you. But I don't want to ruin it on air. Last one of the bunch, Pad. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. (laughs) Oh, boy. Number three. Ryan Parrott, Dan Mora. Do I need to say anything more? Probably not. All I'm going to say is this. When you combine the two big pop culture fandoms, you bring them together. You 
can really make some magic happen. And Ryan Parrott is doing a phenomenal job here. Dan Moore's artwork, he's arguably the best in comics for a reason, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So he has juggled around everybody. Every action panel feels like a big fight feel. And what they've done with the mythos and really gone in some wild directions with this has been some of the coolest stuff you're going to see on the comic shelves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at the midway point now. This series has not faltered one bit. This has been a fun, fun read. I love checking this series out. Boom Studios and IDW Publishing have really got a winner on their hands with this one. So much good stuff at the LCS this week. So as we like to end this portion of the show, make sure to go out and support your local comic shops. Go support your digital comic shops. Make your presence known. Go get these books and then hit us up and let us know what you thought about them because we definitely like talking about them here and on Nerd Initiative. So definitely swing on over there. Links are all found at odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Gotta beat to the punch. Gotta beat to the punch. Cause they can't bring me.